Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Okay, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And I'm lucky enough to have Tim Burnett from the brand and TV series Solo Hunter on the line. What's going on, Tim? Uh, not much. I don't know how lucky you're going to be, but <laughs> I'm glad to be here anyway. Yeah. So what's going on today, Tim? Uh, today's just one of those days trying to find keep motivation and and uh, finish up the last few projects before hunting season rolls around. For, for those of us in the West, it starts up pretty quick. Yeah. What's uh, what's your first hunt looking like? Uh, my first hunt, um, I fly out on August 7th. And uh, so it's coming up, shoot, what's that, three weeks? Less than three weeks away. So trying to cram to get the episodes done and then get all my gear lined out together. It seems like the first hunt of the season is always a cluster for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, always getting ready for that first hunt and you figure out what you don't have and what you forgot or where you can't figure out what where things are at. But Yeah. Usually I just leave everything in my backpack, but I shipped my backpack somewhere to, I don't know, just, anyway, I don't have all my stuff in my pack, so it's it's kind of a, it'll be it'll be good like i like that last minute stuff because i know that i've got everything but it's still kind of you're frantic because i probably end up buying stuff that i already have i just can't find it you know it's like my dad's tools he's probably got 16 of each crescent ranch but he just it's because he couldn't find it he just went and bought another one you know <laughs> yeah yeah no i understand yeah august august 7th there that's a that's coming up like you said extremely quick i've never hunted in the month of august at all so I don't have any experience with that extremely hot weather like that, I'm sure. Where are you at? Are you in Pennsylvania, New York, somewhere on the East Coast, you said? Yeah, I'm in Pennsylvania. So I'm yeah. I'm from north central Pennsylvania and um kind of through the Appalachian region there. And uh yeah, we don't uh our our whitetail season doesn't open up to usually like the last weekend in September uh you know early october there but other than that you know goose season opens up september 1st but that that's about it so um besides besides when you know if we head out west and whether that's colorado or whatever sometimes the season's open you know the third week in august there but that's that's about the earliest that i've that i've seen so far but it's well that's Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say hunting season is definitely coming upon us quick. I can't believe how fast it's coming. Yeah. Well, that's why God invented golf and fishing, so you could have stuff to do all year round. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not much of a golfer. I I can't hit the club real well. But anyways, Tim, so do you want to get in, before we get into this a little bit here, do you want to give a brief description of yourself and uh, and what Soul Hunter is all about? Yeah, so Solo Hunter's been around for a while. Um, you know, the, I guess the concept of it, it's, it's as, a, as far as the TV show goes, it's myself and, and Remy Warren. Um, we've been working together since 2010. And, you know, every once in a while we'll feature um, 
somebody from a solo nation, whether it's a fan or, you know, just somebody else that's self filmed a hunt and, and feature that on the episode. But for the most part, it's Remy and I, and, and then my brother a little bit, but it's the, the concept kind of came about as, is, you know, just self-sufficiency, self-reliance. It wasn't necessarily focusing on just being alone all the time, but more just when you don't have, others to go with you or just kind of the fact that a person is strong enough to do some things on his own. And that's really kind of where it took off and exploded. And so, um, I think just, just being able to like, like what you're doing, being able to make a plan and execute it and, and make it happen, whether it's a hunt or a podcast or anything else, that's really just kind of brings me a lot of satisfaction. So, um, solo hunters on the outdoor channel has been since 2012. I was on the sportsman channel for a couple of years before that. Also a pretty strong web presence with YouTube and our website. And now just recently on Amazon prime video. So if you want to see anything solo hunter, just, just Google it and you'll find it. Yeah. The, the Amazon Prime's a nice touch. Now that's where I've been, been uh looking at the episodes with not having uh tv anymore for the last few years yeah um that's that's nice addition to youtube as well but um yes so the the idea that you had there with you know solo hunter and everything that's the the biggest reason why i wanted to reach out to you and, and talk to you was that's the the audience that that i have and, and the brand has within the podcast seems to be the most questions that I get are surrounded by, you know, I don't have anybody to go with or, you know, no one wants to commit and have the same goals as me. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to realize, but it's still definitely possible to do uh, these type of hunts. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think that's one of the lucky byproducts that I fell into with, with just the name solo hunter and being able to brand it and everything. It's amazing how many conversations I have with partners and with people. It's like, like with Under Armour, we were meeting with them at the last, uh, the last ATA show. And they're, they said it's overwhelming the amount of questions and things they get that are wrapped around solo or doing things uh, alone or, you know, on their own. And so I think it's just kind of, a lot of people are that way. You know, you drive down the, the freeway on a commute, how many people are in the, the carpool lane? not very many you know yeah a lot of people cruising in their cars by themselves and you just think to yourself you're like man are they like me and just leave the radio off do they listen to podcasts or listen to the radio um you know and you just realize that society and people in general have to have the ability to to uh entertain themselves or, or to live within their own mind because they, we do spend a lot of time on our own you know alone yeah, and that's uh, right now. I'm sitting in a hotel in Southern Virginia for work. I'm down here all week, you know, by myself, and all the time I, I spend a lot of time in a in the truck driving and going to different places by myself. So it's uh, it's definitely a concept that can be applied to all aspects of your life. There, yeah, it really is. You know, I mean, you take hunting is a small part of the equation. You know, I still spend a lot of my time whether it's traveling or working or hobbying alone, you know, and I think that's, that's the nature of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So why did you, why did you decide to, you know, pick up a camera and film it? How did that idea come to be? Uh, I've been filming hunts since I was young. I mean, when my, my dad was a school teacher and for part of the 
I don't know what the heck they call it, but the art department or whatever, the, the school provided video cameras and they're these gigantic beta video cameras and recorded onto, a, I don't know what, you know, the big VHS tapes or something. So he brought those home and I must've been sixth or seventh grade. And I just kind of fell in love with cameras. And it was weird because as a kid, we grew up dirt poor. We didn't have cameras. Like I, you're, you'd be hard pressed to find a picture of me under the age of 12, you know? Um, but I just really liked how video worked and, and everything. And, and I remember going out and filming my brothers and I farting around on the farm and, and then, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of was something that interested me just like anybody else. You know, you, some people get interested in photography or race cars or you know, mechanics or whatever it is that just kind of struck for me. So then when I got out of high school and went to college and, got a job and started making a little bit of money. I bought uh, a video camera and immediately started filming. At that time, I wasn't trying to film hunts. I was just trying to film everything that I did hiking around in the mountains. Cause I was a big, you know, Marty Stoffer fan and, and Omaha, a mutual of Omaha and all those national geographic, like all of that. I was just super enamored by it and always told myself that that's what I wanted to do when I got big. Yeah. <laughs> did, uh, so was that something that as far as the hunting side of things, was that something that you've grown up hunting your whole life or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we had a, um, my dad didn't hunt. My mom kind of did as a kid and my grandpa did. And he'd, he'd always bring us salami from the deer that he killed, he'd bring each of his grandkids a stick of salami. And, and, uh, we were lucky there was a, a retired, um, Navy guy moved out to the Valley where I grew up in Lost River Valley in central Idaho. And, he moved out to work out at the site and he was just an avid traditional archer and, and bow hunter. And my dad was laying carpet in his basement, um, on one weekend. And my little brother came home. I remember he came home and he already had big eyes to begin with, but he was like, just so starstruck. He's like, dude, you got to come check out all these bows and arrows and, you know, hunting videos that this guy has. So we went over to his house and, and just, his son, I think, was two or three at the time. So he, and he was in his late 30s. So he was like stoked to have these young 11, 12, 13 year olds to, to mentor. And we just kind of fell right into his family and, and uh, just taught us everything that he knew about archery and watching all the hunting videos with Dwight Shue and Larry D. Jones and Wayne Carlton, like all the, all the dudes that, that I still look up to today, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And what uh, what state did you say you grew up in? Um, Idaho, Idaho Valley in Central Idaho. Yep. Okay, gotcha. So you were uh, you were right in the the midst of the the western hunting from the beginning. Yep, yep. Which interesting in that area. I mean, it's it's amazing elk hunting now. But I think in talking with my some of my good friends, Dad, he remembers when they first. I think they transplanted elk into that valley in 1976 or something like that. So, you know, it, it's really amazing. By the time the, the early and mid nineties hit elk hunting was amazing. So in just such a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot of city encroachment from, I mean, it's, it's just outside the range that somebody's going to drive for a weekend hunt. So you really, if someone's going to go out there and hunt, they're serious about it. Yeah, and and I had uh, 
a little bit similar story. I mean, as far as where I grew up, that was kind of the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And, and I don't know how much time you've ever spent in Pennsylvania, but for the most part, people think of, you know, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, but yeah. uh, the North Central area, actually what they call the Pennsylvania Wilds, has 2.1 million acres of public land, and it's mostly dense forest and through the the Appalachian region there. So I grew up right in the, the center of that. Yeah, I spent a little bit of time up there um, in southern New York and northern Pennsylvania, in the Binghamton, and then down into Sayre, Pennsylvania. Like, I spent some time out there. It's a beautiful country. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a beautiful area. So we, we got you know into whitetail hunting, bear hunting, turkey hunting, everything from a young age, um, as well. And and definitely once I once I moved out of there for a little while, and I I worked down around the Pittsburgh area. Now it it took uh, that's when I really realized how lucky I was to grow up in, in an area like that that you had so much one just public land to be able to hunt and just and just the ability to be able to go anywhere i mean it seemed like anywhere you walked out your door you were you were able to hunt and it's uh you know not that case where i work at most of the time and it uh made me appreciate it that much more so when i first you know experienced the west it reminded me of that with having so much you know uh federally owned and state-owned public lands yeah I, I can't imagine myself of course i grew up in it so maybe that's what kind of conditioned me for it but just the, just the sheer vastness of it and just the sense of appreciation for freedom, you know, and you just, you feel like you just have total freedom and flexibility when you're out there with, within the, the bounds of the laws. But same thing, we, I live here now in Reno, Nevada, um, the south side of Reno, and it's like you can get into the city, but you can get out in the country a little bit, but it's just not, it's just not the same, you know. Yeah, but, no, I'm sure that's a little different there those poor guys in the Midwest and you know, more, more on the East and Texas and all that, they're just like, you, you have to have permission to go anywhere and all that. Like, I can't imagine that. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, even like I said, down in the Pittsburgh area, a lot of my friends there would be like, Oh, I lost my hunting property. I don't know what I'm going to do now. Stuff. I was like, geez, yeah. you know, that's why still every weekend, you know, I drive two and a half hours North to get out, even if since in Pennsylvania, we can only hunt on, we can't hunt on Sundays. Um, I drive all the way up there for one day of hunting when I can and, uh, and everything else, but I, I'd need to get away. I can't do that small, small parcel thing. And the fact that like, yeah, the landowner could change their mind if you're not, you know, lucky enough to own a lot of property, then you're yeah. out of hunting. And I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear people's, you know, trucks going by and this and that dogs barking and uh you know kids in the playgrounds i i'm that's kind of hunting isn't really for me so being able to get out is is a big deal yeah it's that is one thing that is is really really cool about those heavily populated areas though in the midwest and the east is that there's still a crap load of white-tailed deer and anybody can still if they work hard they can still find opportunities to hunt you know and even though they are in these, these urban and metropolis areas guys are killing deer right <laughs> i think within the, even the city limits you know yeah so it's kind of cool that you can actually even be able to do that you know out out here here you might go you might go a stretch of 10 or 15 miles and in, in, in a square 20 square mile area there might 
only be a handful of deer, you know? Yeah. So it, it has its challenges too at the same time. Yeah. No, it's, it definitely doesn't mean it's easier suburban style hunting like that. And, uh, that's what I work at an archery shop as well. And, and, uh, some people that bring in some, one, some just ridiculous deer, old whitetail bucks and everything that come out of the city limits and these small wood pockets that just blows my mind. And just like their strategies are, are just so different, but they, they all have their own, you know, um, difficulty with them. Yeah, it's, but it's it's a unique challenge. It's, it's at least at least the opportunity is there, which is pretty dang cool, you know. Because with without without very much effort, it could be taken away, you know, in the city areas. Yeah, but I mean, with that being said, the the one biggest thing, and again, with working within a, a an archery shop, Pittsburgh's top archery shop, they that we have a lot of people that funnel through and have the idea of they want to go out west to be able to get away from all of it you know they they like whitetail hunting and doing everything um in those suburban areas but they want to kind of get away from the the concrete jungle for a while and if you if when you well you grew up in the middle of it but if you had to to pick you know a species for someone to get started or get introduced into western hunting do you have anything specific that you would recommend uh you know probably the easiest would be to, to maybe choose a state that has some over-the-counter opportunities i mean it takes out a little bit of the long-term planning for it but it, it also you know takes out some of the it just makes it easier for you to know that, Hey, I'm going to be guaranteed to go hunt this fall instead of learning, learning how to put in for other units and put it for limited draws. And then maybe you're maybe not how draw those tags. So I, I'd look at states that have over the counter, you know, whether it's Colorado, Idaho, California, you know, Washington, Oregon, there's, there's a lot of states that have over the counter opportunities. Yeah. But you know, it, from a solo perspective, I would, I would recommend starting out with mule deer, you know, just, just because it's a pretty daunting task when you get an elk on the ground, what are you going to do with it? Unless you've got that support system of, of guys there. And also I would recommend if you're coming from the East and, and wanting to do an adventure style hunt, do like you did and bring it, bring some friends, you know, yeah. plan it together so that you can experience that together. And I, I think that yeah. it would enhance your ability to enjoy it a lot more than just, Saying, oh, my first solo mission, my first mission out west is going to be a solo mission. It's like, man, you're kicking yourself in the nuts from the very get go. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely can be. And and I'm, you know, I'm in a few years in of doing it now. But the way things lined up this year, um, my brother's actually going on his honeymoon in September to Alaska, so he kind of kicked me there by <laughs> yeah, yeah, by uh, setting me off. So I'm I'm going to go. I have a a lot of time to hunt this fall actually and i'll be i'll be heading out for quite a few weeks either two or three weeks in in colorado this september and i'll be doing a a decent amount of it by myself uh for the first time so that'll be interesting as well as um and then i'm meeting up with a group of guys that they're coming out for a week so it'll be it'll it'll be a, a good mix of it there yeah and i'm sure with your with your podcasting as you're kind of coming into the industry too you you'll find but there are a lot of people that are very giving of their time and resources that want to see people succeed. And it's like, 
all of us out here on the West, we kind of root for guys to come out because we want people to be able to experience it. Of course, we don't want them in our spots, but we want them <laughs> to be able to experience it, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's funny. But I think that's probably the number one question I get asked is, is Hey, I'm, I'm getting into archery. I'm having troubles finding elk. Can you give me some pointers on where to go for, to, to hunt elk? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> Um, yeah, somewhere in yeah. the Western States. <laughs> Go to Colorado. Go to Colorado. Hey, hey, don't send them down there. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, no, Colorado was the one I chose from the beginning just because it seemed to have so much opportunity and it was, you know, a closer drive than some of them. But right. with that being right. said, it's also closer to everybody else from the East and just as easy to, to buy a tag. I mean, you can go to Walmart and, and, and buy a tag right then and there, as long as you have your hunter safety card and your ID with you. So it's, yeah. it's, it's awesome to have those opportunities, I would say. And the country is so vast, you know, I mean, there's so much countryside there. You could have a lot of hunters in, in a relatively small space and you're not going to rub each other's elbows. You know I mean? That's, <clears throat> I think a lot of like my brother's bad at this. We'll go, we'll go to go hunting somewhere and there's a couple of trucks parked there and he's like, screw that. I'm not going there. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, those guys are probably half mile up the trail. You know, they're probably on these ridges that we can see from right here. Let's just park here and go in just a little bit deeper, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the, the biggest thing, you know, when you can't, uh, you know, really scout an area, you know, coming from the east i showed up to the trailhead not knowing what to expect and saw like there was like 15 vehicles there and i was just you know just heartbroken from the beginning and what i ended up realizing was that 95 percent of them were hikers because they were subarus i, I saw from the beginning and uh, and the other five percent of hunters just ran the ridge trails and that as soon as you jumped in one of the steep canyons there, we never ran into anybody else for seven days. And it was, it was nice. You can definitely, you know, get away from it, but. Yeah. I've been doing it for a long time and it, it seems like most of the places where I hunt and where I have consistent success are areas that I've hunted for years on end, you know? So it's, it's, I can't imagine, well, I can, but it, it's, it's a lot more difficult to do like what you did and come into a situation well, all you've ever done is looked at it on your, your Onyx map or something, you know, and you've, you've, you've marked a few waypoints and, and then you get out there and reality sets in. You're like, damn that Google earth. These mountains are a lot steeper than they look on the map, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing when, when I had my, yeah, I had to Onyx up and I was drawing, you know, putting waypoints, a place I want to check out. And then you get out there and you're like, shit, that is way, <laughs> way bigger than I could have ever imagined, you know? Oh, it's, it's daunting sometimes. I mean, I'll even get to a mountain range and I think, golly, those mountains look bigger than they did last year, you know? Or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I think you get, your perception gets thrown off when you're, when you're in the same town for a lot of time, you see the same mountains all the time and then you get out and stretch your legs and see some real mountains. Like, Take yeah. a few days to get acclimated to it. Yeah, I changed the name of the Appalachian Mountains to the Appalachian Hills. You know, when I came back from when I when I what I, what I would call mountain whitetail hunting, uh, when I when I went out yeah. west, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. <laughs> and when uh, when Brian, Call, and Jordan came out uh, to 
total archery challenge, not this, this past year, but the year before. And, uh, Brian hosted one of the gritty hikes and we were walking. He's like, Oh, you know, he was, you know, kind of making fun of us about the, the hills just joking around. And I was like, ah, you know, it's not, uh, I I can kind of see where you're coming from now because (laughs) being, you know, being in Colorado or, you know, Idaho, Montana, any of them places, it's, it's a lot different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. I think that's, that's another major thing that draws me to them is the mountains are just, they're just amazing. Yeah. It's hard to take a bad picture, um, in, in the mountains. That's for sure. So with that being said, you were talking about, uh, you know, you were saying picking mule deer just because of, um, being able to pack them out a little bit easier. Say you were to have to, or you were going to go elk hunting by yourself what is it like packing out an elk solo? I mean, I, I watched your, uh, your episode on Amazon prime the other night of you packing that one out here in season eight. And, uh, that looked, that looked very, very, very difficult. You could see it in your face. Yeah. That was not a happy time. No, that, that was one of those times where I was, yeah, where, where I was like, I made a bad decision. I should have, I should have called somebody, but like my pride gets to me, you know, cause I'm the solo hunter. I'm supposed to do stuff by myself. So, <laughs> but yeah. that was one of the more difficult pack outs that I've, that I've done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, walking up on something that big and then being like, I got to get this whole thing in my you pack know, and get it out. It's, it's no different than packing out a deer. You just got to make more trips. I mean, you just, you can, you can make each trip as easy as you want. You can make it so you're only carrying a 40 pound pack. You just better be prepared to do five or six or seven trips. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the approach that I look at it is I know, like, I don't, I rarely, if ever use a day pack, I always use a pack that has a frame that I know I can put a hundred pounds on it and get myself out. So I hunt that way and my my mindset, whether it's a deer or elk or anything else is, is I get that animal down. I've got to take, you know, all the precious parts of the meat, break it all apart, get everything nice and cool and haul out a heavy load that first trip. And then on an elk, you know, you, you go back in and you, you grab hind quarter, front quarter, hind quarter, front quarter, and then you go back and grab the Cape and, and whatever, you know, neck meat, whatever else is left. Yeah. So, Okay, so normally really, about three trips. If you're in there, yeah, if you're in there and you you don't kill an elk, you still got to hike out anyway. So I don't count that. Like that's, I kill the elk, I load my pack, and I walk out. But I would have, I was gonna have to walk out anyway. <laughs> then you go back in, and and do the real work. And I've I've packed an, a big bull elk out in two additional trips. We've been three trips before, but like that gets pretty rugged when you're when you're. Uh, you know, a few miles in and has to do any elevation at all. Yeah. And that's, that's when a couple of the places that I was hunting in last year and I went out with my dad and my brother and, and uncle and a few other guys, and we were all split up, uh, the one day and I was by myself and I had two awesome opportunities at some bulls and, um, never, never ended up releasing an arrow, but I was thinking to myself, I'm like, if I get this thing down, where I'm at right now, it's just full blowdowns and everything in the dark timber. And it's, you know, straight up out of there. I said, that was going to, that was going to be a trip. Oh. <laughs> that was going to be a trip. That's for sure. Oh, deadfall, deadfall would make make it 
exponentially more difficult. I remember, shoot, my brother, my little brother Boyd and I, um, he's one you see on the show quite often. Like we got up in this Lost River range and at 10,000 feet, he had shot a nice four point buck up in there the week before. He's like, there's two more big four by fours up there. We got to go. So we get up there and he glasses these deer 400 yards off. He's like, that's them. That's them. Shoot it. So I shot it, of course. <laughs> and we get up there. And it's a two point. Well, we had to pack that thing down, but then we were stupid and we went down into the bottom because he, he's like, you know, we don't want to go around this other way through this other Canyon. It's, it's a pain in the butt. It sucks. Let's go out the bottom. And it was just, just blowdowns and deadfall. And, and that was the most difficult thing is to travel a couple of miles just going over and under and over and under. So I can't yeah. imagine doing that with a, with an elk multiple times. All the places that I ran into elk in this, this area I'm in is just deadfall after deadfall. I mean, I've had, ah. I've had the elk within 15, 20 yards and I can't get a shot because of how thick it is. And, yeah. and, uh, so that, yeah, that's going to be interesting. But the, the one thing that I, I definitely learned quickly was whatever you look at a map and you think something's a shortcut, don't, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's usually not. And don't, I mean, you don't want that. You don't want to let the terrain or the distance stop you from killing an animal, mm -hmm. but you better, you better be mentally and physically prepared for the pack out. Cause it's going to suck, you know? Yeah. And hopefully it's the weather's cool enough that you can, you can preserve all the meat. So, yeah, but I, I don't ever want to get into a situation where I don't shoot something because it's going to be too difficult. I mean, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll happen, but I've, I've dealt with some pretty hellish pack outs just because I didn't want that to be the excuse. And those make the, the best stories, right? Yeah. If you document it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, was that one that you had on the video there? You say your worst pack out or, or do you have any other stories of, of some hellish type, you know, pack outs. Uh, no, I, I'd, I'd say, I mean, that pack out was relatively easy. It was just a long distance. I mean, I'm seven miles from my truck and the road, there was a two track road up there, which, you know, I know now you can drive on, but like, it's just, it was just a long ways. There was no, nothing really difficult about it. Just the, the distance of, of it. Um, no, I, I would say probably the worst pack out was that, was that little measly two point deer with, with my brother. Okay. That, that, that just, it just was, of course we're kids too. So maybe that was part of, of what embellished the story too. But yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. And, and, and like you said, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to take that advice as far as, you know, a, a piece at a time as whatever you're capable of, because no matter what, you know, I'm, I'm going to get it out of there. Um, it's just yeah. not, uh, not killing yourself in the process. But the other thing though, is I, I think, and again, you got kind of got to suck up your pride and understand what you're actually capable of. And I, th right. I think I'll have, uh, someone lined up, you know, if it comes down to it. <laughs> as far as uh, a local, you know, uh, outfitter that has a packing service or anything. So, yeah, there, there's definitely guys out there that, that can and are willing to haul 120, 150, I don't know, just insane amounts of weight, insane distances, you know, uh, and there's just guys that are physically capable of doing that, which is incredible to me. And then there's guys that are just dirt tough that, 
that are just going to grind through it anyway. But I just get to the point where I'm like, you know, I have this, I kind of have this max limit that if, if something feels any heavier than that, the pack's coming off and something's coming out. You know, I just don't want to, I just don't push myself to that point or haven't done at this, at this point. Yeah. I gotcha. So for when you're, when you're hunting alone and, and I know you said you don't always hunt alone, but do you have any like specific safety tips that you would uh, recommend or any, um, say even gadgets or, or anything that, that you would recommend? Yeah. Um, I mean, always the, the biggest thing is just having a plan and, and making sure that somebody knows where your entry and exit points are and your time and all that. So it's really just, I mean, my brother and my wife, they always know exactly where I'm going to be and when, and when I'm supposed to come out. And the same, same goes for me. I always know when and where my brother's going to be and when he's going to come out. And I even leave a printed map. I print out a map of where I'm at for my wife so that she can see where I'm camping. And then if I end up moving that I'm going to be in a different spot. So I really kind of try to plan it out for her, mm-hmm. which is pretty easy. Cause I have to do all that stuff for the film permitting anyway. So I just basically just copy that there. And then I carry a satellite phone. Um, I've got three kids and I love to talk to them. I cut, I cuddle with them and tuck them in every single night. And that's something that I enjoy doing even when I'm hunting is I love to pick up the phone and call and, and talk to them for a few minutes, usually five or 10 minutes every day. And, and that's really kind of my, that's kind of my security, you know, security mentally, but also security knowing that if, if she hits the fan, I can mash that SOS button and, and, uh, get some extraction. Yeah. Actually today I just, uh, I just ordered one of those Garmin inReach minis, um, to Did take you? out with me. Yeah. Cause that's, that's something that I think would be uh, very handy to want to have the SOS button, but also even just through a text message, be able to check in with someone. Yeah. I've looked at those and I, I thought about them. I personally like, I like the phone. I like to be able to talk, you know, Matt, and maybe some point in life when my kids are gone and doing their own thing, maybe I'll like to talk a little bit less, but for me, it's, it's, not much more weight. It's not much any, any bigger. And I just, I can just dial out and, and go. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I guess that makes a difference with me not having kids or a wife. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that no one wants to hear me talk that much, but uh, you could be like Remy and just go off grid for three weeks at a time. And no one really knows if you're a lot dead or alive. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's funny. I, I remember even, well, even till today, um, um, whenever, you know, I'm back at my parents' house, my, my dad always, every time he goes hunting, he leaves a, a topo map and where his tree stand may be at, um, and the, the route he plans on going in. And if he's not out by this time, you know, he leaves it for my mom and, uh, and so that he, she can, you know, give it to one of my uncles or something to help go find him if something ever goes wrong. So definitely that, that planning phase, it seems, uh, to be important. Yeah. Be- before I got married, like, that was atypical. My, my usual thing was like, and that was part of, I think the adrenaline rush and part of the excitement was, it was okay. I'm going to, I'm going to drive two hours to, to this Canyon. I'm going to get to the trailhead at 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to hike up to the lake three or four hours. I'm going to camp. And like, I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm just going to go do my thing for the weekend, be back, show back up to work on Monday. And like, that was so liberating to be able to just feel like, you're a hundred percent on your own, you know, yeah. which is asinine. I mean, it's totally ridiculous, but at the same time, like 
it's kind of, it's kind of a test of your, of yourself and kind of putting yourself in the position that, you know, I got, I got two people to rely on. I got myself and God, nature and whatever else. Like there's, there's nobody else that, that knows I'm here until they find my truck at the trailhead, you know? Yeah. And I, I love doing that, man. I love doing that, but the, I, I don't think that it's that wise. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure your wife wouldn't appreciate that now either. Oh, geez. She's got to know if I go to the grocery store or the DMV now. <laughs> That's funny. But so, okay. So the, the satellite phone is big and, and the planning phase, anything else that you would say is a, you know, kind of a, a security blanket or, or just something that could potentially be life-saving? Um, I know the guys that travel, do a lot of international travel and that have the insurance policies and, you know, whether it's, um, global rescue or some of those, which is probably a smart thing to do. Um, I've yet to do that, but I, cause I, I spent a lot of time in the States and really haven't seen the need for that. Cause, but, um, you know, I, th- I think the main thing is, is that is just having some form of communication, people knowing where you're at and then obviously first aid and, and fire starting capabilities and mm-hmm. know what you can and can't eat, I guess at some points, but um, yeah, it's just, it's just not being stupid, which is inter- ironic because the whole concept wrapped around solo hunting is pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends how you look at it there. Do you, uh, do you, when you said you hunt mostly in the States, do you, do you hunt Alaska much as well? Yeah, I've been to Alaska a few times. Um, I'm going to be up there twice this year. So it's just, for some reason, I don't know if it's mid-age crisis or whatever it is, but that state is just calling me. And I've got some really, really good friends that, that live up there. And and uh, I've just kind of made it a point to reconnect with them and, and go spend some time in Alaska. Because it's, it's it's Alaska. You know, there's, there's stuff down here in the lower 48 that can compare, but it's still not the same thing. And there's the, the, the animals that you can hunt up there that you can't hunt elsewhere, you know. Yeah, and uh, I I just experienced Alaska for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, I went up there and and stayed with uh, Heather Kelly of Heather's Choice, and uh, oh, yeah. and went up there with my brother. And they had like a company retreat, so I went up there with them. And that was the first experience that I've ever had with um, with Alaska. And uh, we just we put a tent up in their yard. And, uh, Heather and her boyfriend, Brad, uh, threw the tent out in the yard and stayed there. And then we went out, um, into Chugach state park and, uh, did did some camping out there and rafting and everything. And that place was just unbelievable. And, uh, just the experience I, I am going to hunt there in 2019. I have it. I have it planned, whether that's black bear or if I can make the, the moose hunt that I want happen, then I'll do that. But yeah, even just the, the fact that I didn't realize how it's a lot easier than I thought to be able to, to hunt Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, well, there's a lot of over the counter opportunities. I mean, logistics is the main thing, Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure none of the local, I'm sure none of the residents want people up there hunting and, and all that. But the reality of it is, is it's, <laughs> it's an adventure that a lot of people want to have. And, and as the economy is rolling and as people get into certain, um, 
certain, you know, financial abilities or demographic groups, like there's going to be people wanting to spend time in Alaska, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it almost seemed like a different world up there. And, uh, the, the one morning we, we woke up to, uh, well, it was 24 hours of daylight when we were up there basically. And during that summer solstice at the end of June and the dogs were barking. And then one morning I was sleeping in my teepee out in the yard and, uh, I just kind of rolled over and didn't think anything of it. And I woke up about 15 minutes later and the neighbor who's actually Heather's dad came over and was like, Hey, there was just a big, uh, brown bear in the yard. You know, right, right over there by your tent. I'm like, all right, this uh, this isn't Pennsylvania anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I should have, I should have uh, taken those packaroons out of my tent. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have left the yeah the wrappers sitting there. <laughs> right. Yeah, those are the, those are the little things you got to think about. Yeah, definitely. And that that goes on here too. You know, I mean, Montana and Idaho. There's plenty of grizzly up there. So yeah. No, I've never hunted anywhere with uh, a grizzly yet, but that's that's coming soon, I'm sure. You got to keep it on your mind. I mean, it's always got to be on your mind. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let's circle back around a little bit to Idaho. Um, and did did you hunt a lot of whitetails in Idaho when you lived there? Yeah, yep. Um, that was one of my favorite things to do. My my two younger brothers went to college up in Moscow. And then my other brother went to Pullman. So we spent a lot of time up in the, on the Palouse and then Northern Idaho chasing whitetail. Um, we'd get them occasionally down where I grew up, but never, never really a huntable population back then there. There's a ton now on the river bottoms, but, um, yeah, Idaho's, it's got some, it's got some good whitetail in certain areas, um, or, or did, you know, so. Yeah. Is that mostly in the, in the mountains or is that more in like some of the big river bottoms? it's both you know river bottoms just just about every river bottom throughout the state holds white-tailed deer and mule deer i think that's probably the maybe the biggest thing holding them back i guess a little bit or is just the intermingling of the mule deer territory and the white white-tailed territory but it's anywhere from the river bottoms up to big mountains you know they can be they can be anywhere yeah that's one of my bucket list hunts to to hunt uh, in the Panhandle, Idaho, somewhere in the mountains for for whitetail. That's I, I want to yeah, hunt whitetails in any sort of uh, you know big forest terrain. Since I grew up doing that, and I started hunting through Ohio and some of the other states, I want to do that out west really bad. Just go up there, St. Mary's, Potlatch, you know, anywhere up there on the northern Palouse, and you can be in some big country and. I mean, there's some pretty dang good deer. One of my best whitetails is a is a big eight point that I shot up there. So yeah, no, that's that's awesome to hear. And and like I said, I don't know, it's, it's something about whitetails that that I love. And and to be honest, I mean, even though that I grew up in the east, I've only hunted them in farm country a handful of times. Um, for the most part, I'm just hunting the big woods um, type environment. So it's, and again, it's not the, the same mountains as the West, but it's similar environment from talking to some people that live in Northwest Montana and everything there. And they kind of, they seem to hunt them similar to, to how I do in Pennsylvania. So I, that's why I just, I want to give it a shot sometime. Yeah. The time I spent in the Adirondacks in, in upstate New York, it's very, very similar to, to what you'd experience up in that St. Mary's Northern Idaho area. Okay. Very similar. Yeah. Cool. 
Awesome. Well, that's that's definitely something. Like I said, that's on my bucket list to uh, to give a shot there. And it seems like most most people when they're thinking of deer in the West, they're worried about mule deer. So if uh, if the hunting pressure is relatively low, I'll be okay with that. No, I'm. I don't know what it is. I got i I got bit by the whitetail bug like in 2004. I mean, it's hunting whitetail deer is awesome. I, like, if you're in a situation where you're not just going with an outfitter and being set in a stand and told what to do and sitting there, like that would probably suck. But when you can, when you can like look at the maps and do everything that you would do for elk or mule deer and chart and, and then go out and throw out trail cameras and pattern them. Like you're hunting those suckers all year round and they just it's just weird. That type of hunting gets into your head so much that you get so analytical that you're thinking, Okay, I saw this buck on my trail camera here at this time of day. What was the wind doing at that time? Where was the moon? And then you're like, Oh, I, I picked up a shed over here or, you know, I saw I literally saw that buck on this ridge. Why was he there? You know, and so I'll I'll go as far as taking down what direction the wind was going at the time, which direction he was traveling, what time of day it was, what the month, trying to just put this entire scenario together of why was that deer right there at that spot at that time? Because big white tail bucks don't usually do things very randomly unless it's during the rut. Like usually there's a plan and a pattern to it. Yeah. No, that's the same, that's the same thing I do. mountain bucks. Yeah. They, um, I, I do the same thing. I, so I use just, I, I marked the waypoints on, well, now on my phone, um, before on the GPS, but I'd mark, mark, uh, the locations of, you know, this, where my trail cameras were and everything. Once I'd get that data, certain deer, you know, I'd have, I'd have a whole spreadsheet laid out. Okay. Here's when I picked him up on camera or here's when I saw him and here's where I think he's betting. And then I go back to a website called weather underground and look at what the temperature was that day, though, the wind direction, all this stuff. And I have it all logged in there and, you know, try to make a, a plan based on that. And it's, it's, it's fun to do. And it's definitely a, a mind game. Yeah. Guys do the same thing from mule deer and elk and find their sheds and, and, you know, try to get picks and all that. Like it's, it's no different for a whitetail. I just think a whitetail just thinks a little bit closer closer to what a human might think i don't know they're they're a cool animal really yeah cool animal no they they definitely are um so uh have you hunted oh you said you hunted at the adirondacks before then right yeah i spent some time up there mostly my whitetail experience comes from oklahoma uh, missouri i've done a little bit in illinois i think i hunted three seasons in illinois so it's all mostly right there in that the, the big whitetail center of, of the midwest mm-hmm. okay yeah no i haven't uh i haven't done much in there farthest west as far as whitetail hunting that i've i've went was ohio um but hope to do a little bit a little bit more of that and see see some different experiences i wish there was more you know time in the fall that's for sure yeah you kind of have to prioritize you know and once once you get to the point where you've got a family and other responsibilities outside of hunting you have to take that into consideration. I mean, it's, it's a unique individual that, that can make hunting their life and be able to focus a hundred percent on it. And, you know, that's, that'd be a sad existence in my opinion, but, yeah. um, like you just kind of have to weigh out how, how important it is to you. Like, like I really respect you and think that it's awesome that you were able to plan out and execute your first hunt out to Colorado, let alone your second and third and, and hopefully your fourth, fifth, sixth and, and so on. I, I think 
I think people are really missing out if they're only dreaming about it. They've really got to take the necessary steps, whether it's listening to podcasts, signing up for, um, you know, an, an Epic account or a hunt and hunt and fool account or something like that, where they can get education and, and resources to go and do it. And then set a start. I mean, drink less Mountain Dew, you know, start just setting aside a few bucks a week. Next thing you know, you're going to have enough money to, to go and do one of those trips. And once you get through that first time, the second and third time are going to be a lot, a lot more fun. Yeah. And then one of the biggest things that, that, uh, that I noticed with me was the first time it was, you know, getting the gear, especially cause I wanted to do a backpack hunt and yeah, you can, you can definitely, you know, cut in certain places and everything a little more than I probably did. But once you have that, you know, it comes down to time, gas and tags yeah. and it's not as expensive as everyone thinks. And you can put that money aside no, no matter what your, you know, income range is. It may take a couple of years, but, uh, you can, you can get, you can figure that out. Yeah. Up until 2004, when I started doing some filming and TV stuff, I was still shooting the same bow that I bought when I was 16. I was still using a ratty Cabela's backpack, you know, hiking around in crappy boots that I bought when I was 18. Like I spent a lot of years just using basic, basic equipment. I don't even think I had a pair of binoculars until my mid early twenties, you know, like it's, it's not the gear that is going to make you a successful hunter. You know, if you've got that drive and that passion and ability, you got to kill stuff with a stick bow wearing blue jeans and a flannel top and pack it out on your back with no pack if you, if you really want to. So, I mean, we, we all get myself included. I'm guilty. We all get so wrapped up into wanting the, the, the latest and the best gear because it's going to make our lives easier, which in some cases it does, but you know, it, it might be, I, I relish, I, I love the fact that I learned with nothing, you know, and that I was able to find success early with nothing. I love that fact. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's so true too. And, uh, and, and the way that, um, another individual, Matt comment who I had on the second episode of the podcast, the way he explained it was, you know, okay. So you go out and you buy a truck. Okay. He goes, you buy that truck. It's awesome at the time. It's great. It depreciates value quickly as you go on hunts or different other style adventures. Those experiences don't depreciate. They just get greater over time. And, uh, that analogy was perfect, especially when, when, uh, last year I w- went out and bought a newer truck, not a, a brand new vehicle, but he texted me and said, you're driving your sheep hunt. <laughs> and, and I was like, Oh geez, Matt, thanks for making me feel any worse. But <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I, I had a friend put it to me the same way. I was like, how can you afford to go on a stinking stone sheep hunt? He's like, I just plan on driving my same old piece of crap truck for another 10 years, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> that's but, the way Matt put it to me too. The same, same way. <laughs> well, and that's, that's what I did all throughout this last, I don't know, what is it? 10 years or stuff of growing, growing solo hunter and not only the TV show, but the brand and the business. I, I drove the exact same truck since 2005. Um, you know, and I, I didn't put a lot of money into gear because I didn't have to, fortunately with TV show and stuff, but like I didn't, I didn't travel the world hunting on all these 
super expensive hunts. I didn't hire a production company to produce my, my shows. I didn't, um, you know, whatever. I didn't buy the best airtime on the networks. I like got by with what I could get by with that enabled me to immediately start paying my salary. You know, I could immediately jump into this and make the same amount of money that I would be making selling trucks or selling water or, or, you know, putting shingles on roofs. Like I could make a living doing it and stuck with that clear through until really this, this year, last week I sold my truck, you know, the truck that I had from the very beginning. And, um, it's, it was just a sacrifice that I feel like I made in order to, to get me to a position where I'm at now, which I, which I feel is fairly comfortable, you know, but I think a lot of times we get so wrapped into wanting to have that new truck. We want to go travel the world while we're young and all that and accrue all this debt and, you know, maybe not take advantage of, Hey, I'm on TV. Maybe I should start a brand instead of focusing on just peddling other brands, why shouldn't I start my own so that I've got some equity and I've got something for the future for when I get fat and ugly and the TV stuff kind of falls away, at least I can still sell bino systems or <laughs> rifle covers or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I kind of, I, I took that approach and it's worked for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's a hard mindset to have. No, that's, that's funny. And, uh, so I, I, uh, I, I definitely have you know been following along with your stuff for quite a while now and admire the way that you've built the brand and kind of t- tried to take a little bit of a similar approach to when I was, when I'm trying to build East meets West in it. And, um, so as of right now, it's a, it's a podcast an online journal and an apparel company. And, and the reason why that I wanted to start the apparel company is I'm a hat and shirt junkie. I like seeing that kind of stuff. And I wanted to design my own. So I learned how to to do some graphic designing myself and, you know, built the logo and did everything and just started started making that kind of stuff. And in the midst of it, too, I wanted to help out. I'm a big proponent of backcountry hunters and anglers. So I donate a percentage of the proceeds to BHA and and work with them on that but i i like that that whole aspect of you know building the brand and and i and as you have definitely proved that uh solo hunter i mean you can't say that word without someone thinking of your brand and I, I mean, at I, least that's the way i oh, see it yeah 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 within the hunting within the hunting space you know yes. people are like Oh, you're famous. I'm like in really, really, really small circles, you know, <laughs> maybe, but like, um, that's, that's the hope. I think I was, I was six or seven years into it before I even made my first hats and shirts. Cause like to me, apparel was the last thing that I wanted to screw around with. Cause that's, that's what everybody, everybody was doing. Um, now it's a, it's a big part of my business, but at the time that's like not what I wanted to start off off with. But, yeah. Yeah. Actually I'm using, uh, using one of the companies that, uh, is doing your hats authentic, uh, leather company. Um, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, using them to build some of my hats. I love the way that yours had, had turned out. And, uh, I, I saw that, that you'd said that they, uh, did some stuff for you. So I reached out to them and yeah, they did a good job. have, uh, had yep. some hats coming in this week actually from them. Cool. Cool. Can't wait. I think I've seen, I think I've seen some posts that you made on Instagram. It's funny, before you contacted me, I kept seeing this guy with a mustache on a school bus or something pop up 
on my Instagram feed. I'm like, who's this clown, man? He's popping up everywhere. What's the deal? <laughs> and then, and then prime, um, sends me the new commercial spot to, to have inserted into the show. And I'm like, crap, there's that son B again. Like he's taking my job. Wait, wait, did I make and, uh, one of the commercial spots? Weren't you in the prime commercial spot? Yeah. I, t- prime? I Yeah. I, well, I took, I, I remember recording it, but I didn't know if it was what they were doing with it. So that's going, it goes to broadcast tomorrow and so on. Or so you're in it. Yeah. It's there. Wow. All right. But, but it's, it's interesting. <laughs> and then, and then you contact me. I'm like that damn Google, man, they're tracking every move. They know what I'm looking at. And, and the, the ping is, it was kind of, kind of ironic that you reached out at that point to do a podcast. So I, I just thought that was kind of funny. That's funny. I didn't know that, that backstory there. That is, that is pretty funny. Yeah. The mustache definitely, uh, gain some traction there it's an unforgettable creepy look <laughs> yeah yeah but you got to keep it now you know, i know you get rid of it now i did it I mean, as a joke Co- cody a rich. problem imagine cody rich with a goatee and no mustache now it's just not gonna happen <sighs> i know yeah i know it's killing me i wish i wouldn't have started it because i i coined it the the rut stash and i just used to grow it during the rut of when i hunt and <laughs> it turned into something more than that yeah yeah, try try being the guy that's that's made that's made being a fat chubby kid as part of your brand. Now I can never get myself fit. I have to stay fat and chubby my the entire rest of my career. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I can make that work. You know, <laughs> don't have to watch what you eat. But no, that's that's funny. But um, yeah, man, uh, is is there anything else that you think that that you could add as far as any key takeaways for someone looking to venture out west for the first time? No, I think the main thing is, is um, everybody has it within them to be able to make it happen. And there's somebody out there that has that information is willing to share it. You're obviously one that, that has kind of taken a point to to create a platform and a, and a sounding board to help people do that. And there, there are others out there that, that can do the same thing. And then there are resources that aren't very expensive that you can subscribe to, whether it's Go Hunt or Epic Hunts or whatever else Eastman's, um, you know, members research section, like there's resources out there that you can, can find their information out. And then social media is probably the single greatest tool that we have in, in modern day to establish relationships and gain information and, um, make something like that happen. So you don't really have an excuse to, to not do it. If it's really something that you want to do, find somebody else that really, really wants to do it, and then go do it together. Don't don't do it solo. Your first one, <laughs> D- uh, duo hunter. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, go dolo, go dolo, <laughs> dolo. Okay, that works for me. So, Tim, the one question that I uh, that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is, how do you define adventure? Uh, adventure is anything that pulls you out of your comfort zone and that'll pull you out of your day-to-day element um, that you can walk away from and say, damn, that was awesome. Like that's what an adventure is. And, and sometimes uh, it, sometimes it doesn't even have to be a hunting adventure. You know, it might be flying to Seattle, picking up a new truck and driving 11 hours back to Reno. Like, that's a freaking adventure. I love it. You know, it, it could be anything. It could be, it could be jumping in your, your truck and, and driving to the base of a mountain and, and climbing a peak that you've been staring at for 12 years 
and never hiking it. And then one day you go and hike it and, and you come off that and you say, damn, that was awesome. That's an adventure. So it's, it's anything that'll, that'll take you out of the norm, get you out of the, the day-to-day rut that you're in. And it, it can be at any size or at any level. That's, that's to me what an adventure is. I love it. No, that's, that's perfect. I, uh, I, I really appreciate it, Tim, you coming on here and, uh, you know, being able to talk to everyone uh, about this, you know, concept of, of going West and, or, um, and I, and again, my brand East meets West, you know, it, it says, okay, yeah, an Eastern guy trying to go West, but that's just, you know, kind of the idea. So that, that could mean, you know, it may be in your backyard, say this year, you know, you're, you're having a baby or something, you know, big, that's way more important than hunting is happening in your life. And maybe it's a two hour drive to, you know, like North central Pennsylvania where I grew up and, and doing a hunt for a long weekend or something. It's just the idea of finding what your own adventure is and getting out of your comfort zone and and making it happen. So again, thank you very much for, for coming on and, and talking with me. No, thank you for creating your platform and, and speaking for the right voice. You know, we're speaking the same language and we're just going to reach, you know, a couple of different audiences. And so I appreciate you doing what you're going to do and wish you all the success in it. I, I think it's definitely needed. Definitely needed. Thank you. So uh, before we go, what's uh, where can everyone find Solo Hunter at in uh, in about a hundred different places? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's that's always been my philosophy: is don't limit don't don't limit yourself to where you can be seen because everybody has their chosen platform of preference, and that's that's where a lot of pride gets into somebody that I'm I'm TV. I like TV. I'm a TV guy. That's that's where I'm going to be. You're missing out on on being able to share your experiences with a lot of people in different demographics. So search, search solo hunter on YouTube. So it's youtube.com slash solo hunter all spelled out. It's solohunter.com on the website. Um, I'd really like you to Amazon is a great platform to be able to stream episodes on your mobile and download them and do all kinds of things. Like it's amazing. Plus you can watch, full feature film and sitcoms and everything else at the same time. Like that's, that's the beauty of a platform like that. And then uh, we have the all access platform, which is a subscription base on my website. You get discounted merchandise on the store. We're just about to release our own app where you can stream the podcast and episodes on there. And then you get, um, you know, automatic entry into some product giveaways and that type of thing. So we've given away a couple bows and some optics and, bunch of stuff just like everybody else in the business but we're catering to our solo hunter nation you know the solo nation people that uh, are strong and individuals you know people that think just a little bit differently like that's that's what we're all about awesome all right tim well uh again i appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll have to talk again soon good luck this season nope for sure yep thank you you too Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.